I'm going to just uh, move my word out the way and just go with the Holy Spirit. I just feel like God doesn't want me to share anything but what the Spirit is saying. So the good thing about um, preaching through a letter or preaching through a book is that you can come back to it. And so I imagine this will be quite short and it will have room at the end for you to be ministered to. So beware of that. It will also have room for you to go and get coffee. If you want to chill or tea or whatever else is downstairs, I'm going to just lean into the Holy Spirit and allow him to minister. Because my teaching is um, from 1 Corinthians was on baby Christians and you could retitle it going on to maturity and it's really important that I teach that. But I just listening to the Holy Spirit today and he just wants to talk to some people about the stuff they're carrying and what they've come in with. And I just want to trust the Lord to speak through me in this moment, if that's okay. You okay with that? Okay, so thank you, Jesus. Father, you know, I lean on your spirit every day. I'm just going to read and then share a few ideas and then pray for people. I feel like I've got to just leave my sermon to one side for the moment. It's a great, it's a great message. It's got lots of slides. It's 12 pages of detailed notes that took me ages to do, but Jesus is Lord. John chapter 11, if you've got your Bibles. Now, a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister with uh, Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Just remember that phrase, please. He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. There's a repetition of the heart of Jesus, isn't it, about his love for this family. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Can you just say that phrase? I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Jesus, he thought, was speaking figuratively. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she said she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall be living. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said to him, yes, uh, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he open the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you'd believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you speak entirely to the people in this room and to the heart and all those who may hear this message online. Amen. Let me tell you two stories before I share the thoughts I have on that passage. This morning I was walking the dog. There's another familiar story with me, but I bumped into the same alcoholic who I've been witnessing to for a number of years now. I invited him to church. The short of the story was he said, no, I need a drink. I should have brought him to church. I should have dragged him to church. He can be drunk. He can drink in my services. He needs the Lord. The Lord can set him free. Let me tell you another story. I was in Jobstown in Dublin and a man who was a heroin addict came out of the chamber in a, in a shopping centre and he had sickle down his top and he screamed out, help me, help me lads, help me. We were witnessing on the street in a very rough area that had more murders per week than London, any city of London. And he came out and, I, and I've told this story many times, but I have to say it to the glory of God. It was Jesus in me. It is not my nature to love someone who's got sick down the top. I am totally the opposite of that in my spirit. I hate wee poo and sick. I'd make the worst nurse, the worst caring individual. I'm impractical. I am ineffective in that area. This is not my gifting. But Jesus on me is different. 
And the man came out and he said, help me, lads. And I threw my arms around him, knowing, knowing before I went in for the embrace, I'm going to get sick all down my top. I got sick all down my top and I didn't care. Because the love of God was compelling me to embrace a man who possibly had sharps in his pockets. He'd been a heroin addict for years, it came out. The following day, he was at a seminar. I don't know how he found the church they were in. It was in a high school setting. Maybe one of the other team had told him where we were. And he came to a prophetic training seminar. And he was weeping at the back of the room. It was bigger than this room. It was a high school room. And we went over to him, two or three of us, to the back of the room. And I said, why are you crying? I asked him. He said, and I remember it to this day, he said, what have you done to me? That was his question. What have you done to me? I said, what do you mean, what have I done to you? He said, I've not taken a bag of heroin this morning. He said, for years I've taken a bag of heroin every morning. But not this morning after you hugged me. Do you see the power of Jesus Christ? What's my point in those two stories? The alcoholic man chose not to come to the call of God's voice through a man. The heroin addict came to the voice calling for Jesus. And he's responding to the voice like Lazarus coming out of a tomb. I remember another occasion, I'll not say the name of the minister, there was a a minister many years ago had a breakdown. That's very common in ministry, by the way. The devil tries to strike the shepherd so the sheep could be scattered. I decided to write down everything that that person had ever done for me and my family in a letter and thank him. That's a nice idea, isn't it? When we had this particular speaker at our weekend, I think it was Cloverly Hall back then, he thanked me publicly for writing to him because he said he heard the voice of God through my letter. It brought him out of his depression. And in that letter I wrote, it's like you're Lazarus in a tomb. Jesus is calling to you to come out, but you have to respond to the voice. And he said it was that that triggered him to come out of his state and he healed from that moment on. I would say to you today, and here's my point in all of this, if you are in a state that is broken or bound, you have to hear the voice of the Lord through the prophetic word in this room today. But you will leave with your bandages if you choose not to respond to the call of God. You'll walk out bound up with whatever it is you've got on your life unless you respond to Jesus Christ. You know, see, people don't respond to Jesus Christ because they're bothered about the way they look in front of people. Or they're bothered about validating a particular human being who's called to minister. Well, I I don't want to respond to him because it's him. And if I respond to him, people will think I'm this and I'm not with them. And it's all the factions I was going to preach about today in my message that I won't go into. The church has all these fractures in it because of particular human thinking, which is worldly and not spiritual. Spiritual sees the invisible. Spiritual puts its hand out to Christ and sees that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. Let me be clear that Lazarus was as good as dead. He was hopeless. He was dead in the tomb. Jesus had to tell his disciples plainly, he's not sleeping. I'm not using metaphor. This guy's carked it four days ago. He's dead. And by this time, there'll be a smell. Do you see how hopeless Lazarus's condition was? Do you see how broken this state was? There aren't many conditions like that that are so irretrievable. Lazarus is dead. I I have to ask you the question, what is it in your life that is apparently hopeless? What is it in your life that you think is irretrievable? 
What is it in your life that you think Jesus is not able to change? Because in the Bible, what we've just read is that this was a hopeless situation. But the hug of that heroin addict is a picture of what Jesus can do for every one of our lives in this room today. Because Jesus said it in the text we read. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. So so much is the resurrection life that's in Jesus. He is that. He doesn't just do that. He just doesn't bring life to the dead. He doesn't just decide on one day, this is what I want to do today. That's who he is. And the people hearing that were aware in the original audience. Yeah, I know on the last day, you're going to raise the dead. General resurrection. I know you're going to do that. You're going to judge. They understood that. And he had to quicken the family and say, look, no, I'm talking about this situation now. And many of us have spiritualized or made an overly practical human perspective on something that seemed hopeless. But God says to you, am I not the God of the impossible? A few weeks ago, and I, I, honestly, please forgive me. I, I, I do not get off on sharing stories about what the Lord's done, but I can't help but tell you what he's done in my life. This is my life. This is what I do. This is what I do for a living by the grace of God only. But a few weeks ago in our West Orton congregation, I was ministering and a lady came with a tumour. I think it was bowel cancer. And she had pain all the way through her bones. At the time, she said to me, it was hopeless. If Jesus didn't heal, but she was ready to die. She whispered that in my ear. Okay? And I, and I, in the same way, I, I don't know if Carol and Tony, in the same way as I said to Carol and Tony before I went on holiday to Devon, when Paul was my administrator, I said, don't be afraid, let's pray and see what the Lord does. And Paul texted me when I was in Devon and said, Tony's cancer's been healed, it's gone from the colon. The biopsy said it's completely clear. Same thing at West Horton. I prayed for her. The woman started to weep because she was in excruciating pain all the time. And I said to Kath Kemp, maybe... Maybe Jesus has healed her cancer. She's like, well, I don't know, but she, her pain's gone. The week later, having been to the specialist consultant, he'd shown her two scans and the cancerous mass had completely disappeared from her body. Completely. She doesn't have a cancer anymore. And what am I trying to say here? I'm not trying to draw attention to myself. I'm saying God is the God of the impossible. Even in our little church network, God is at work even a few weeks ago. Is he not able to do something for you today for your impossible situation? I'm not telling you stories about things that happened years ago. I'm telling you something that happened a few weeks ago. And do you not know that God is at work in you to will and do for his good pleasure? Every day of your life, Jesus is active around your life and you don't even know it. Every day. I, I was having a job on my car done and the guy came and did it at the roadside by my house and he came and he was fixing and doing and it was snowing. And I decided to go and help the guy by stand outside with an umbrella holding it so the snow didn't get on him. He was the most miserable, bad-tempered, ill-mannered man I've ever met. I even commented to my wife when, he came in, when she came in, Rachel said, that guy's a right piece of work, isn't he? She went, yeah, too right. But I went outside and I found why he was a piece of work. Because everyone has a story, don't they? We always judge the outward appearance of a man and not look on the heart, how the heart was damaged. And that's why he is as he is. And so I'm stood by him and I learn about his story. He's on mission with Lighthouse Church in Manchester, in India. And whilst he was away, somebody slept with his wife. 
And now his wife is shacked up, worshipping Jesus with our new person in a new church. And his faith's out the window. Understandable. And then he told me story after story after story of Christians that had let him down, of preachers that had let him down. And he was bitter towards God to the point where he didn't know if Jesus was real. What, am I, what is my point here? God is at work every day of our lives. We just need to have, be able to smell it, sense it. I don't mean, I don't literally smell God, but you know what I mean? Be open to the fact that things in your life are just not happenstance. That God is at work in you. And the Bible, the Bible says, make the most of every opportunity. And so right there, I'm holding the snow, I'm getting snow in my face. <laughs> Mason this, I'm freezing cold. He said, your arm's really going to be aching, isn't it? I'm thinking, trying to be Christian. <laughs> if ever there was a time a pastor wanted to swear, John, don't tell the eldership. <laughs> Some people offended at that, never mind. Send the religious spirits out the window. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> but then I started to share about a God who loved him, and I prophesied over his life. I said, your father rejected you, but the father will never reject you. You've not had an example of father... He'd been told when he was younger, the story came out after I said that to him. He said, I was rejected at birth. They told me that I was unwanted. The parents told him they didn't want him. For the whole of his life, he'd lived with that stigma. And then some <laughs> Pentecostal ministers telling him what I shouldn't know. And he starts to tear up as I'm looking him in the eye and saying, God loves you. It went in like an hour in his heart. I saw him. And I told him to pray in his car on the way back. I prayed for him, laid hands on him, prayed for his body that was shot. Like a lot of workmen, his knees were shot, his shoulder shot. I said, you'll see the Lord's touch you when you go home. I didn't bother to get him tested. It was too cold and too dark. But I said, don't think that the things you've been through in your life have any indication about what God is like. God is good. Jesus is wonderful. Christians fail one another. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just because your wife worships at a church doesn't mean she's not going to get a slapping down spiritually one day if she doesn't repent. He went away changed. What's the point of that long story? God is at work in your life and he wants to use you. And sometimes we think that our lives are very ordinary and not like person X on the internet or whatever, whoever you admire. Can I just state the obvious to you, the blindingly obvious? The majority of human population who are followers of Jesus live, work, walk in the beautiful ordinary. Live, work, walk in the beautiful ordinary. And let me say something else that I would have preached earlier in my message. There is no higher spirituality in being a Christian leader. Paul says clearly in the passage I was going to preach, we are merely servants. And he downgrades himself in front of them because they were getting arrogant about their spiritual abilities. It's beautiful. I was, I was like sat with the Lord this morning going, mm, I like that. It's a bit like Nicky Gumbel recently for his leaders conference has said, we're not going to advertise who the speakers are or who the worship leaders are. We're just not going to put it out there. We've had enough of this celebrity culture. You know, we, we, if you go to the leadership conference, the Alpha Group, Ollie Trinity Brompton, who, nobody knows who's going to be the speakers. 
Nobody knows who's going to be leading worship because we, we couldn't care less. Isn't that good? Hallelujah. Isn't Jesus at work in his church? You'll see a faceless army rise in the years to come of people who are Jesus lovers to the bones. Real Christians, not fake Christians, not celebrity Christians, not heroes, just Jesus followers, which is what Jesus came to bring, actually. Let's go back to the text. I see a Jesus who wept. I see a Jesus who wept. It said twice that he loved the family and he wept, the shortest sentence in the New Testament. I love the fact that Jesus is pictured as a man snorting like a horse as he approaches the grave of Lazarus. I've done this before, but it's worth redoing again. Because you've seen somebody get this upset about in your lifetime. Abrim Atomai, snorting like a horse. He said it sighed, he sighed deeply within himself. That's a terrible English translation. Not so much of the snorting, but that's the. You've seen a horse? Can't do it, I was spitting on the front row. You've seen a horse? That's the image. The Greek were very graphic with their illustrations. He's heading towards the tomb, deeply moved, the passage says. Deeply moved about the state of the situation. Can I just state again to you that God is not uncaring towards your life's traumas and he is deeply moved with compassion for your hurts and your pains and he cares about your life more than you care about your own life and he approaches you today through the prophetic word of many people and says, come out, Lazarus. Let me embrace you. Walk towards my eyes. Let me put my arms around you. You're accepted. What a beautiful image of the love of God. How consistent are those words with scripture and the character of God? You see, what we do as Christians is we, we, we come into a heavenly kingdom. We're bought into a spiritual reality by Jesus. And then we live like human beings that don't know Christ. The occultists know more sometimes than the church about how powerful Christians are in God. I was with some dear friends that I met at the beginning of the week at the Elam Leaders Conference for the Northwest Leaders. The man was a captain in the army. His name's Jeff Blees. He ministered in Skem. Good man. And they were telling me a story about how a load of occultists came to stop them getting a building recently in Princess Riceboro in Buckinghamshire. And there was a tremendous fight, fight so much for this building that it went into Parliament and it was debated in Parliament. Somebody tried to resist them so strongly. Somebody phoned him up, an MP friend of Jeff, and said, do you know you're being debated in Parliament today? All oh, right, and they watched it. And the Christian MP that stood up for their cause kind of said, I couldn't think of a better way to give this community centre to uh, the community itself by giving it to a church who will be for the people and he stood for them. But before that, Jeff had had a contention with occultists who turned up, we came out on a Sunday, came up, surrounded the building. They said to me, honestly, this was quite frightening. There were people playing fiddles in their faces and all of this and 
one of the chief witches came to Jeff and said, you do not operate on the spiritual plane that I do. You need to be careful with us. And Jeff, being Jeff, who'd been in the army, do you know any robust people who've been in high-ranking positions who wouldn't be phased in a fight? And he said, I am seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus to this witch, this head witch, far above all rule and authority. And the woman who was the high witch, high priestess, turned to the group, the covenant, whoever it was, and said, we have no authority here, let's go. The weakest saint is seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority. We are the life bringers. We are the world changers. We just don't know who we are. The early church did, and it was said of them, they turned the world upside down because they knew their God and they lived like Jesus in the world. They'd seen him. They carried the heavenly kingdom wherever they went, unafraid, unashamed, committed, devoted, relentless. This is the Jesus we serve. I want to say to you as I come into close that God is wanting to touch many people this morning, otherwise he wouldn't have steered me in this direction. He's wanting to heal people today. There's people who need their souls healing too, which will take for some of you, it won't be an instant thing today, will take a season. Some people it will be months, some people it will be years. The Lord is at work in you and he knows what you need today, this morning. But he comes to you with compassion. He comes to you with love. He states your acceptance. He says the situation of your life is not hopeless. It's not something he cannot fix. But he just wants your yes. Lazarus heard his name. Lazarus, come forth. But you have to make a choice to hear the voice of God, to allow the compassion that's in Jesus to connect with you. Do you notice as well that when Lazarus came out of the grave, it said that he said, unbind him. To whom? Did Jesus unbind him? Hence the need for church community. The problem, the problem with a lot of people in their brokenness is they get hurt and then they live at a distance from people. They learn to not trust people because they've been hurt and they don't want to give themselves away. They don't want to expose themselves again to the relentless love of God through the church. Let's be real. We are all broken vessels needing fixing, all on a journey towards life. But yet God deigns it in his wisdom, his methods and pathway to heal the church and bind the church through the church. And today I just... If John can be just coming forward to play his guitar. We're going to have some ministry time. We're coming up to 12. If you need prayer for anything, body and soul, can the elders join me? Um, and we will minister. We'll minister. Can you join me as well, Dad, please? We'll minister. Okay. And if you need a coffee, that's fine. There's not going to be any hyped up rhetoric to get you to come out. This is about you responding to the word of the Lord that was shared through the people 
re-emphasize through me today that God is reaching out to you with love to reposition you in a place of life, a place of health, a place of strength for his glory. Chapter 12 of John's Gospel sees Lazarus at the center of a party as a testimony to the restorative power of Jesus. And all people could see, look what the Lord has done because they knew that Lazarus had been dead. Let your life be a testimony from this day on of how God can fix a broken life. Amen. So we're just going to worship. The rest of you want to stay and you don't need prayer. Just worship along. You need a drink, fine. You can go and do that. We're very relaxed in this moment. Drinks are downstairs. If you're a visitor, follow the stairs down. Um, If you want prayer, we'll pray. We'll pray gently and see what the Holy Spirit does. And I'm going to turn my microphone off now, so we're not going to broadcast it either. Amen.